Well, when you talk about um, doing it for the money, you know, I've been doing this, how long have we been doing it? 25, 25 years. years. Um, I love making money, don't get me wrong, but that's not why I do it. I do it because it turns me on to see people improving their lives and getting more of the lives that they wanna have. And that's how we work with, that's what we do. Welcome back to the Leading Lights podcast. My name is Somia. My name is Hema. And today we are joined by two guests, Dean Del Giudice and Gay Matheson, who are both therapists. So before we get started, you guys just want to tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you decided to choose therapy as your careers? Yes. Yes. Um, we're, We're psychotherapists, life coaches, and authors. And I don't think my wife or I knew that we were going to be any of those things when even we were in our 20s. So um, for me, it was, I was in sales and marketing for the first 20 years of my life. And then when I was about in my late 30s, I decided that it didn't have any meaning for me anymore. I was making money, but no meaning. I didn't feel like I was contributing to the world or making a positive impact. And I decided to go back to school and become a therapist. And that's where I met my wife, by the way. We met in graduate school. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, I had a resort shop for about 10 years in Seattle. And um, I became a stockbroker. Can you see this? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I became a stockbroker. And I loved learning about that. But I actually hated doing it. And then at that time, um, I've always been interested in psychology, read a lot of psychology books. And then I entered into my own therapy and I got such benefits from it that I then wanted to help other people get the same benefits. So that's how I got started. I think that's really, I think that's really cool because I mean, that's the entire reason we started this podcast is because we all feel like we need to have everything figured out so early. And I think seeing like real life examples of how you can still be successful without that is really cool. Yes, and you know, in the old days, somebody would stay on a stay in a job for about thirty years. But now, I think the figure is people sometimes change twelve times in a lifetime. And you know, you you want to experience different things. Like we bought a bed, bed, uh, an Airbnb, Airbnb in Sedona, and so we're, we've enjoyed working on that project, and that's another business. And then we decided to write a book, and Dean wrote one, and I wrote one, and that's another business. So you want to keep growing your whole life. You're not I confined. Think- life is a buffet, mm-hmm. and there's really no pressure. And I, uh, Gay, and I both have seen so many young people who think that they have to know the right career right now, or the world is going to come to an end, or they're going to be a loser. And it's just not, none of that's true. Yeah, I think that's such a great way to go about life, right? Because um, to constantly try new things, to constantly want to learn, sometimes Hmm. I feel like, especially among uh, high school students, that desire, that motivation kind of gets lost in the pressure of of like finding a career finding out what you want to do and then right you you once you get into that 
you're kind of demotivated. And I, I think yes. what you guys are doing is like awesome. Mm-hmm. And I know how you early, earlier, you said that you kind of had a wild journey um, in your education. So we want to know, like, what was that like? How did education play a role in all of this and finding what you wanted to pursue? Before we get into that, you bring up a very important point, you know, uh, because school and studies is so emphasized these days. You know, we're older. When we were kids, we used to run outside and build forts and do lots of things like that. And now the kids are studying up until the time they go to bed. And there's a very important component that's missing, and that is imagination. You are fed material and study material, but there's no like, there's not enough time, for my opinion, where open imagination, where ideas come forth. Right. So you're not, we don't believe that critical thinking is being taught. Uh, we, th- we think that they're just stuffing students with information so that they can regurgitate it later and data is not how we are get successful in life and we have to be able to shoot from the hip to turn on a dime to (laughs) to sense things and follow our gut and intuition Um, that's that's where the people who are really big successes and we have to be able to think for ourselves critically so we're not just following the masses or whatever a narrative is of the day Yeah, and I think going back to how you guys talked about, like, we don't need to have everything figured out at such a young age. I feel like we're taught you have to follow the alphabet, like, it's step one, then two, and I think hearing this perspective is really interesting. Yeah, and also, like, what you said just now about how we kind of just live our lives mindlessly at this point where where we come home, we do our work until we have to eat and go to bed, and it's kind of a disappointing uh childhood because i know like my parents or like um people from the older generation would be like yeah when i was your age i was like always playing outside with my friends after school like we didn't we weren't under this much stress and um and i it's just like crazy to me to imagine that kind of version of a childhood oh yes it was it was very enjoyable and it doesn't mean that you didn't figure things out like i took ballet for about 15 years growing up and when i was in junior high i got all the little girls in the neighborhood together and i taught ballet and then i got a neighborhood boy who liked to play the music and we would have a recital and so that's business you know that's being out in the business world and building things and figuring those things out. And um, it wasn't just assimilating information. So on the details of that, um, some of the, and I know you've heard this before, but I, I can't say it enough. Are you familiar with Anthony Robbins? Tony Robbins? Okay. He was probably the greatest and most famous motivational speaker. Um, coach in the world. Life coach, motivational speaker. He would he he could fill a stadium. I mean, he he appeared at Universal Studios four hundred and fifty dollars a ticket, wow. and the place was packed. <clears throat> the man only has a high school diploma. Oh wow! He just got it in his head that he had motivating stuff to tell people, and um, he was actually to quote him, he was uh, overweight and broke and living in Venice Beach in a cheap apartment. In a crappy 
Harvey. And a, yeah. And uh, there was a vacant movie theater next door. And he asked the landlord if he could use it just to go in there and just stand on the stage because there was a little stage in front of the screen and talk to people. And he said, and he put the word out as best he could. And the first, the first day he got a few people. And the next day, those people brought some people. Before you know it, he was filling the theater. Then he started creating materials. And he's put out a ton of, because it was the old days, there were tapes and CDs and books. <clears throat> he now owns, he lives in the Fiji Islands and he owns one of them. Um, he's a, a very, very uh, famous and wealthy man without a, without a college education. So, you know, college educations are good, but they're, that's not what's going to make that's you not who the you are. end all. Look at Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. They didn't finish. Dropouts. But right. they were passionate about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of our episodes, we were talking about how, like, we're kind of, we're taught that our passions are good to a certain extent for like I guess college resumes to look good on uh for college or for your occupation that there is no future in pursuing that and I think it's important to acknowledge that you can like make something out of a, your passion if you really truly believe in it more than that you want to because think of all the people and we work with plenty of them that have established careers that they don't like and so you're going to spend eight, 15 hours a day doing something you don't like, where if you're passionate about something, it's just like going out to play. Money is a byproduct. Yeah. So they're actually teaching you that don't pursue your path. It's not, it's not necessarily that we're being not to pursue our passions, but oftentimes we're told that like STEM careers are the only viable options and the chance of you like being able to support yourself is very, very low if we aren't pursuing those types of careers, which okay. kind of limits our options, I guess. So yeah. when, when I have young people come in and they say they want to be a rock star, a professional sports figure or a movie star, that the, the, I tell them, well, don't quit your day job because <laughs> the odds on that, they're measurable. That's like 3% mm -hmm. of Less. the people who try actually make it into the, to the big leagues in those fields. But that doesn't mean you can't decide that you want to make, you know, your own brand of ice cream, yeah. you know, uh, Ben and Jerry's. I mean, who were they? You know, there are a myriad of small companies uh, there's there's Bandini Toffee. Have you ever heard of Bandini Toffee? Is it Bandini? No. Okay, well, it's pretty big here on the West Coast. Uh, they started, they were two young people about your age making toffee in their house. And then they got a little retail front store where they sold their toffee. And now they're being carried in major, major grocery store chains. That's following your passion. Around the country. They followed their passion. They haven't had time to go to college. Is right out of high school, they're making toffee, and now they're making a ton of money, and they love what they do. Now the education starts in the real world for them with marketing and finance and studying right. the competition and making a plan for the future. It, that stuff is priceless. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a professor who actually knows from experience enough to teach those things. Before I was listening to another podcast called Anything Goes, and she mentions how uh, working a career that's your hobby or your passion can kind of ruin it for you because then your passion becomes more about the money 
And um, it's not necessarily, she said it's like not necessarily always a bad thing to have your hobby be something you pursue on the side and not necessarily have it be your main dependency for money. So what did you guys take on that? Well, when you talk about um, doing it for the money, you know, I've been doing this, how long have we been doing it? 25 25 years. years. Um, I love making money. Don't get me wrong, but that's not why I do it. I do it because it turns me on to see people improving their lives and getting more of the lives that they want to have. And that's how we work with, that's what we do. It's very gratifying. It's inspiring. And Mm -hmm. so I can't say I agree with her. Although Dean's a wonderful uh, cook, and we have wondered if he were ever to become a cook, say, in a restaurant, a chef, whether that would be the same for you. It may not. So I guess it depends. Right. It's a case by case. Yeah, that's very true, because I have worked in kitchen, professional kitchens, and it, it, then it's a, it's a, it's it's a, a grind. It's a grind. It's, it's still fun, but it's, it's hard. So whatever that person was saying has to be taken with a grain of salt. And as Gay was saying, we, we picked this because we wanted to help people and we knew we could make a decent living. Well, we became more successful than the average therapist, but that's because we had previous marketing sales and marketing skills before we went back to school. I I believe that. Um, That was one other thing I want to say and I forgot. Well, it's a a case-by-case thing. I mean, you have to evaluate those things. And that's where critical thinking comes in. You know, as Mm -hmm. we talked about, Dean is really an incredible cook. But as we played with the idea of it, and since Dean in his young years had some experience with it, um, we really realized what it would be. And so that's to know. It's a little too much work at this age. You know, it actually is a lot of work at any age, but you feel it more. <laughs> but you see, there's another thing, and that's the book writing. Okay, my wife and I have each published a book. I come from a small blue-collar neighborhood um, on a suburb of Chicago, and the thinking was very limited. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, only doctors write books. Who do you think you are to think you could write a book? Those were the kind of things that were said. And if you ever were to read my book, I state right in the first chapter, I'm writing this book for me. I do hope that it will help many people, but the primary cause isn't to get glory. It isn't to make money. There's a book. It's an accomplishment. It's something I want to do. Now, the harder we push into marketing that, uh, the more money we will make. It's our choice, but we've created that. So it's about, I think it's about creation. Mm-hmm. You create what you want. Yeah, if I can choose one thing that that really gives your life meaning, it's creating. And so to continue to create your whole life and, and shift if you need to shift. I was talking to some people about when I was in Washington, there was a study of all the Boeing executives. And at that time, they'd stay in a job for 30 years, right? Uh, now people change jobs quite a bit. But after they retired, they lived an average of six months. And I'm thinking, what in the, what is that? And I, I have come to the conclusion that their whole identity was wrapped up in being a Boeing executive. And when they retired, who am I? 
There's no, you know, I don't have any employees. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm an annoyance to my wife. Um, <laughs> and, and they needed to reinvent themselves because different time periods of our life require different responses. So I think we have to always keep creating to keep fresh and happy. I agree. There's a book uh, called The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And he talks about how people just jam their lives up to get into a Ivy League school. And so they can get out and right out of the gates, let's say you're a lawyer. Well, if you graduate from Harvard, you're gonna be hired right after graduation for a hundred grand plus a year, but you're gonna be working 80 hours a week. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, for, and you hope you will live to spend the money <laughs> that you made by the time, because it just, it robs you of your life. So he talks about the new rich or the, the new commodity of wealth being free time that you could use the way you wish. And you two can probably really relate to that because of your packed studies. You know, you're at school and then you're studying till the evening. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you guys mentioned that, you know, how careers can be such a big part of our lives. Cause I think we're always just on this journey to be the best in the place that we are. And it just, it never ends. Like we're always trying to be the best where we are, but we don't realize like the sacrifices that that might come with. That's a good one. And, and we work with clients in the way where I'll just be happy when. And then I'll just be happy when, yeah. and the goalpost keeps moving. Well, you really have to figure out how to be happy now. It doesn't mean you don't make sacrifices for the future, but you have to watch what those sacrifices are that they're not um, overwhelming. And you know, back to the pursuing your dream thing, what I meant by the football player, movie star analogy is that those are specific fields that are highly, highly competitive or you've got to have connections. And yeah. so, but it's not, it's not the same ratio of that 3%. If you guys come up, if somebody comes up with their own thing, like you guys have come up with this, you can expand upon this. You know, I mean, there, there's just no end to what you can do and you don't even know what you can do yet. And you could write about how you started this. You could write your whole experience for other young people that might be interested. <laughs> I never knew I'd be where I am today. I didn't know I was going to be any of the things I am. And it's just all good. And the, I think the important thing is to take what you have, see what you enjoy, and then capitalize on that. And then see what you enjoy out of that next level, and then take that part out and capitalize on that. See what you're succeeding at and build on that. That's more of a sure stairway than just saying, I want to be a movie star, you know, there is no stairway. You've got to have someone else give you permission or hire you. You're self-employed if you do this, right? which is another caveat to this whole deal. Yeah. One of the reasons that we don't have to worry about anybody or anything else is because we're our own bosses. Right. Okay. So that was important to both of us though. I mean, if we wrote the perfect job down, it would always be, we want to be our own bosses. And, so and actually, we actually had a question about that, like how, considering that you guys are your own bosses and you are able to kind of figure out your own schedules and take your own um, steps toward your uh, furthering your career, how does a normal work day 
in your life look like? Well, we <laughs> we got it down now. So uh, I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from one to six. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful. I have four days right. off, but I'm but I'm also writing at other times. I mean, that's when I see clients. But I've always wanted to to set my own schedule. So I would say that when somebody is thinking of a career, they should list the types of things they want. I want my own career. I want my own schedule. I want to make X amount of money. I want to live here, you know, and all the little elements. If you wanted to work for a corporation, what kind of corporation would it be? What would you want your co-workers to be like? I don't want employees, you know, and I don't want to work for a boss. I want to be independent. That's one of my top things. So that's how we accomplish that. But if you know the conditions that you're after, it makes it easier to then see how that works. So what you said, one of the things, well, if I want to work for a corporation. So I have a, a best friend I've known since eighth grade, and he got into the corporate world at high school. There's another story. He never really went to college. He ended up as the vice president of the Diamondback Bicycle Company. Do you remember the Diamondback Bicycles? That's a little bit kind of that company. It was big in the, was when they started company. the motocross, the, the BMX bicycle motocross. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, he started in the warehouse and worked his way up to vice president of sales and marketing and flew all over the world and, and made lots of money. He never went to college. Now, when they sold the company and basically, you know, everyone was just set free. Um, my friend came out here and he bought a house and he was thinking of starting a business and we were encouraging him. You know, there were several different kinds of businesses and, you know, you ought to try that. You ought to try. And as it turned out, every one of them, he would, he would do his research and he would hesitate on pulling the trigger. And one day he came to me and he goes, you know, Dean, I've, I've just come to realize something about myself. I'm I'm an organizational guy. I like to be part of an organization, part of a team. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people like that, and that's where it comes, the know thyself. Right. Okay? Self-love, self-knowledge. I love it. I see your t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) It's a good one. So, and I have uh, people in my practice, um, middle-aged adults who say, you know, I'm with the fire department or the sheriff's department uh, because I want to be part of a team that helps the community. But so some people are geared toward teamwork and they really like that. And I don't play well with others. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm the, I so like to be the one. Right. That's mm-hmm. it. All right. Okay. So another question we have for you guys is how has the stigma around therapy affected your work? Because we know that, um, going to kind of taking that step to seeing someone else and confiding in them about your problems can be daunting, especially when society might not encourage that step at first. So how is that? How, what is your guys' take on that? Yes. Well, you know, it's changed a lot over the years. Now it's almost, you know, you're in vogue if you have a therapist where in the past it wasn't that. But we always presented it like everybody has had a coach or like with me, I had a ballet instructor. Um, And so that's how we present it. This is just like having a coach. 
You know, somebody that knows more than you do about one area, they may know more than we do about another area. Uh, but we know more about psychology. And so we're going to give tips and help them figure things out. And you see, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised that that I know the stigma is still there to a degree. But for people your age, yeah. um, I'm, I was hoping it would be a little more normalized by now. So what we do, go ahead. I, was say, I think it has definitely like between people our age it is a lot less but I think especially in the education system there's this like misconception that if you go to therapy there's a problem and it's it's like not something that everyone should be yeah. having yeah so yes. in the education system there's a problem <laughs> and that is <laughs> and that is that the 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 counselors in that system uh, they are required, they have to have a diagnosis. They have to label you and then refer you up. We don't have to label our clients. Mm -hmm. We're just like, we're here to give you the life you want. If you had a magic wand, tell me the life you want. And then we're going to put our heads together. We're going to take that goal and create a methodology for you to get there. It will be trial and error, but that's what we do. And so that's how we present therapy. It's, yeah. it's not about it's not for fixing broken people. It's for getting to where you want to go. And I just want to say one more thing, honey. Um, the other things that we, we do is we teach skills that, as she was saying, others don't have, like communication. We have advanced communication skills and methods that we can impart to people who you can't get this stuff on TV or from your church or from your neighborhood buddies or parents. You know, it, it took a long time. So if you want to be an excellent communicator. If you want to be a cut above, you can be perfectly normal, have no neuroses, if you will. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be better than the average bear, you come and see us and we'll help you get that. As Gay was saying, actors, successful actors and successful athletes hire their own coaches. Tom Brady's yeah. got his own coach on top of the team's coach. Every, every baseball, football, basketball, star, they hire someone else that they see alone because they want to even have a competitive edge over their own teammates. Mm -hmm. So I feel that we see the cream of the crop uh, because the crazy ones never come in. They yeah. don't think they need therapy, but the cream of the crop comes in because they know they want it, they want either to figure something out or they want something better. You know, they want to excel in some way. So if they even question, I say, don't worry, the crazy ones don't come in. We see we see what we feel is like the top ten percent. The ones that say, I don't need therapy. Because well, they're willing to work on themselves. Exactly. Yeah. That's the key. And, and, and this is and actually... Go ahead. <laughs> this is actually another, a question from another high school student because we've gathered some questions from others. But they were wondering what your relationship with student patients or uh, people in college is like because we often don't see people our age going to therapy or getting coaching. Oh, we have good, we have some very good relationships with high school and college. And um, they're definitely in the top percentile. They're good thinkers. They're, um, they're willing to work on things. Yeah, Motivated very grow. good relationships, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of them say, you know, that we're like confidants that they can't, they can't come to, the, to their parents with certain challenges they have. 
and they don't talk. Sometimes they can't talk to their peers because they're really above their peers in mm -hmm. thinking ability, I think, mm -hmm. a lot. And some of them know that their parents wouldn't really have the answer anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think both of us have built some very, very close rapport, uh, relationships with our um, teenage and early 20s clients. Yeah. Almost That's like a mentor. We almost become like mentors to them. That's really cool. Um, and also like another big thing that has kind of taken over our generation is of course social media. And we want to like know what your perspective on social media is, especially its effect on mental health and like the, I guess, thought pro the thought process and the thinking skills that we have. Yeah, I think it's uh, really a detriment to mental health. It's, uh, I, we have couples that come in where one or the other is totally involved and marriages that are close to breaking up because of somebody spending time on Facebook or, uh, you know, it can be a real waste of time. Mm -hmm. From my perspective, you know, somebody can enjoy a little bit of it, like what you're doing, you're teaching people, exposing them to new information, great, learning, great. But if it's just posting and we're quite a narcissistic culture at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this whole selfie thing and posting everything you've eaten and pictures of me here and me, that, me, 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 me. I mean, you could be out really experiencing life instead of photographing it. And that's right. what those people are doing. When you're taking a photograph of yourself in the middle of some <laughs> event or <clears throat> you're not enjoying where you are right then. You're and busy thinking about anyway? how you look in the picture. Right. Who cares about <laughs> seeing us in the middle of what, you know? Mm. So yeah. I think that, I think that we have to think in terms of time. You know, you guys are young. We're much older. So time's going by faster for us, but um you have to really allocate what, where you're going to put your time and see if there's really a return on investment. Mm -hmm. I feel like, oh, go ahead. I feel like initially social media and the internet, it started off like innocently with, you know, putting information out there, trying to broaden our own knowledge. But I think especially now algorithms are becoming more addictive and it's so hard for a lot of teenagers, especially to find the balance between, am I improving myself and gaining a benefit from this? Or am I not having any balance between my real life and the internet? Yeah, and I also, yes. I've watched this documentary on like social media and I think it's becoming a thing where we are a victim to being manipulated into like, keep, keep on scrolling, keep on scrolling, keep on liking, keep on feeling bad about yourself, but you still, you, you're in this perpetual cycle yes. and it's just, it's so unhealthy, but addictive. And then you spend a lot of time feeling bad about you, like what you're doing with your life and that you're not in right. your you don't look good enough. You don't, you're not in as many events. You don't have as many friends. And it's just so, it can become so toxic if we don't learn how to limit that. It's so true. And they design it, as you guys sound like you know, to be addictive. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like the video games, you know, you get more rewards when you first start and less rewards as you go along. And one of the principles of psychology is intermittent reward 
uh, gives you gives you more hooked in. That's what slot machines are based on intermittent reinforcement. And you get more hooked with that because mm -hmm. if you got if you won all the time, you'd get bored. And if you lost all the time, you wouldn't play. But if you have the carrot, you'll keep going. So what's important with that, I think, is you won't believe it, but we don't have a Facebook account or a Twitter account or a Twitter account. So you have to be critical thinkers and you have to see who's manipulating you, including instructors in school. You have to mm -hmm. gather your own knowledge and think for yourself, because if you don't, you will be used and manipulated. And sounds like you guys are hip to that. And I'm really glad <laughs> to hear it. Yeah, I always say I'm too busy doing real life and interacting with real people to be staring into a screen. And I get whole families that come to me and they say, Dean, in our house, it's like quiet. Everyone's just walking around with their phone or their iPad and looking into that. They'll text each other from different rooms. Is dinner ready? Or yes. I mean, so we're losing our social skills, yeah. uh, the inability to, to interact. And most importantly, I believe it's killing the imagination. That's it. Because right. I, you know, uh, the, the, everyone on their screens think I get people who take their kids camping and the kids just want to sit in the tent with their iPads or sit in the RV with their right whatever the heck device they have and it's like <laughs> are you kidding me you're in the middle of you know gorgeous natural forests and everything or they get aggravated because there's no internet and they throw yeah. it's like, you know it's just I crazy. had a doctor that took yeah it was his uh, second wife and he took his kids to a dinner and, they, and there were like five kids. And he came in complaining that during the dinner, and he's paying for an expensive dinner, that they're all on their phone. And I said, whose fault is that? Why would you allow that? I mean, I can't even imagine. You're having your kids at the dinner table. You're not going to converse. You're going to allow them to be on their phone. And the idea that they thought they could do that just shows you what the training's been. And that has um, evolved or devolved from being rude at one time to now being totally acceptable. Yeah. You know, this is funny. This is personal. I remember sitting at the dinner table with my parents and we took a different word every, every night at dinner. And I think I was in junior high. And eat, and we somebody read the word and the definition, and then we had to all use it in a sentence. And my vocabulary far surpassed a lot of the kids in school. I mean, that's not always what we did at dinner, but it was creative. And it taught me a vocabulary, which was wonderful. And what did that do for me? It gave me more confidence. I could speak to any adult. You have another question, or can I add on the list? <laughs> this is actually, one of our student, another student's question, actually. So, talking about social media, you know, we're always consuming other people's lives and comparing ourselves to them. So, how do you think um, other people's problems and comparing ourselves to them can impact our daily lives and how we carry ourselves? Okay, there's, there's a man <laughs> named Fritz Perls. He's considered the father of Gestalt psychology which is now a very old school of thought in psychology, but it doesn't make it less valid. And he said the only way to affect true change in oneself is to become more of who you really are, not more like that person over there. 
See, so this whole idea of comparing yourself to others needs to just go away. Make it out of your repertoire because think about this. There are always going to be people more beautiful, smarter, more talented, more creative, more everything. You can't win, you know, and richer. so richer, mm -hmm. all of those things. And so it's better to just take it out of your repertoire. Hard to do, especially with uh, all of the comparisons that come up on a regular basis. But you can do it if you start realizing that it's damaging to you. So wherever the wherever the places on the web you go uh, that you compare yourself or find yourself comparing, don't go there. Instead of doing that, you could use that same energy to make yourself a better self. The object is to be a better, for me, it's to be a better Dean tomorrow than I was today. I, I don't look at other people. I compare myself or my progress by, am I bettering myself each day? That's the best you can do. Mm -hmm. So other people are irrelevant. Right. I think that's a good, uh, an interesting and very like resonating perspective for us to have is that we're always trying to better ourselves and we need to focus on improving us before uh, being better than anyone else because there's always going to be someone who's above us and we're always going to be grappling to uh, be above them and it's just a again a perpetual cycle a perpetual cycle yeah um, another question we had was from a student was what would how do how should a like person who doesn't have like education in psychology react to uh, someone who opens up about their issues to you so like if a friend uh, were to like talk about their mental health issues how do you how do you kind of take care of that situation without sounding insensitive but still helping them through it like if one of our friends started our, or one of your friends starts yeah, talking, opening up to you oh, well yeah. i don't think there's anything wrong with discussing it with them to the best of your ability sure i mean you know friends are if they're good friends and trustworthy friends you want to make sure they're trustworthy friends you can discuss issues with each other. You may know more about an issue than a friend does and share that, and they may know, know more about another issue. You can refer them to books. If it's over your head, then you, you could say, hey, you know, a lot of people consult therapists. Or life coaches. Or life coaches and send them off if you feel like it's over your head. But you two sound like you're pretty wise. You probably could have some good advice. <laughs> Yeah, so the dangerous uh, curve that could uh, that can come here is if, let's say you do listen to your friends and you're able to give them some sound advice. You want to make sure that that person doesn't continue to come to you and continue to ask you to help them and fix their problems. Oh, that's good, yeah. Then you want to say, you know what? I think you really need somebody who's a pro because, you know, this seems to be coming up a lot and you really deserve better care than I can give you. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want them to become dependent. They become dependent and then they'll just use you. Right. And we get clients who come in here and say that their friends do use them as sounding boards, as solve my problem, lean on my shoulder. And every time the phone calls, okay, what's it going to be now? And it's always taking, taking, taking. 
you're smiling. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a problem that a lot of people our age face, especially because we feel like we don't have access to a lot of resources. So we tend to turn to each other, but we're afraid of causing more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to close off the episode, I want to circle back to your guys' careers. What advice do you guys have for a student that might be interested in pursuing therapy as a career? My advice would be, I don't think anybody should be a therapist without going through their own therapy long term. I'd read everything you can get your hands on in psychology, and then I'd find yourself a good therapist Uh, that you work with for a long time because you can't lead people until you've gone over the path, so to speak. And an alternative to that, if they didn't want to take the whole long road, is um, there are programs on how to be a life coach, life coach, certified life coaches, uh, NLP practitioners, that's neuro-linguistic programming, uh, clinical hypnotherapists. These are things that you can get in, in like two years. And you don't need a license, which is another pain in the neck uh, Mm -hmm. situation, basically. And I wanted to say one more thing about the schools. In 25 years of practice, how many times has someone said, well, when a new patient calls in, well, what college did you go to? Maybe twice. I've had it happen not even five times in 25 years. And when I tell them Antioch University in Santa Barbara, they just go, oh, and move on. And they've never heard of it, and I know it. But it doesn't matter. (laughs) because our professors there had practices outside of school. They had real businesses in our field where so many academics, you know, so many professors in the UC system, for instance, uh, they've got PhDs in psychology, uh, but they've never run a practice. Right. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We had so so much fun talking to you guys (laughs) today. Um, And, I think that's all for today. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's lovely to meet you too. And I think you're doing a wonderful thing. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Make sure to check out our podcast on all streaming platforms.